everyone. Welcome to semester four, episode four of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex ed- college admissions landscape. I'm Victoria, an IVYS counselor and former assistant director of admissions at the University of Chicago and Sarah Lawrence College. And joining me today are my friends and fellow IVYS colleagues, Christine, who's a former assistant director of admissions at Yale and Georgetown, and Eric, who is a former admissions officer at Columbia University and assistant director of admission at the New School. Since we are approaching regular decision notification dates, in this episode, we're going to share advice on how students can choose their best fit admissions office offers. So, um, Christine, um, I know you have some some good uh, vibes to throw mm-hmm. away of all of these students who are hearing from from their different colleges. I mean, it's great news for some, and you know, some tougher news for others. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, for students who are getting um, good news, uh, congratulations. Um, You've worked very hard. And, you know, as counselors, we know we're observing, um, but we know that the students are doing excellent work. And um, some students have been working um, from day one, ninth grade or even earlier, um, you know, studying hard and um, being involved in their communities and doing really amazing things outside of the classroom. So congratulations. and celebrate. You still have a good bit of senior year remaining. So you want to take the time to hang out with your friends. I always tell students to catch up on your sleeve. Sleep is so important. So now that you are going to college, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and really just spend some really great time resting um, and just hang out with your friends. Um, we do also recognize that some students um, still waiting for news um, or maybe not the news um, that you're hoping for exactly, and that could be a really tough position as well. Um, hopefully some of um, the things we could discuss later on uh, at the end um, could address that uh, component as well. Um, but hang in there, I don't think um, some of the results uh, or all of the results are really reflective necessarily of who you are as a student. I think the admissions landscape is just really tough. We're hearing record number of applications once again, um, sometimes it's a spot issue. That's, you know, we, you know, Eric, uh, Victoria, we have all sat on the admission side and we know how tough these decisions are. And it's not about the caliber of the student. Sometimes it really is an enrollment issue. So um, please, you know, look on the, um, you know, reflect on all the things that you've accomplished in high school so far. Uh, you're amazing um, in so many ways. So um, focusing on the positive would be great. So um, that's our kind of a intro to these, uh, this episode about um, kind of finding the best fit and mission offer and where to go from that. Um, I would just like to say that, you know, for me, it always is questions, ask questions. I know you asked a lot of questions in the fall and the summer as you were looking for um, the right fit colleges to put on your college list. And then all of a sudden the application season happened and that took over everything. And it was just hammering out the essays and getting all the documents and a lot of logistical things. Um, And sometimes, you know, students can veer away from this question of fit. Um, So starting with questions uh, for me is really the first step. Um, Even if you did your research back in the fall or just a few months ago, go back to the basics of what does this university have to offer and are these components of academics and student lives all good fits for you um what do you guys think think? so 
Yeah, I think it's so important for students to reevaluate because like you said, you get so caught up in the mix of the application mm -hmm. process itself. I don't know how many seniors I've worked with who have gotten to, you know, their last application they're working on in like mid-December. And they say, wow, man, when I look back at the applications I did in August or mm -hmm. September, I really have like such a better handle on what I'm looking for now and what schools offer and how to write about it in an essay. And so, you, you know, even over the course of a year or, you know, nine months of your first nine months of senior year, your like needs will change, your understanding will change um, and your, you know, what you're looking for might even change. So reevaluating that's really important and asking those questions is, is you're right, Christine, like a really great approach to to starting that process over again and being open minded to to maybe learning something new. Yeah, independently writing my notes in advance and kind of preparing for the session, I wrote all of the things that you just said. So I think thank you for corroborating uh, things like, you know, fit is the word that is like the biggest refrain when you're talking to college counselors. And all I will say is that independent of where my students have enrolled, I've worked at three different high schools at this point, in addition to working with IVY students, and they will come back into my office and say, you know, Mr. Sherman, I can't believe that I used to cry on your couch every day because I, I didn't get into my dream school or I was fighting tooth and nail to get into my number one. And I cannot imagine myself being, you know, anywhere else except where I ended up enrolling. So that's really the um, important thing to know now is like celebrate your acceptances. It's such a different sensation to know that you're wanted. And I think we're going to talk about how you can uh, make the most of, you know, being on the other side of being an admitted student instead of a prospective student. And so, Christine, what does that mean to you in terms of how it shapes a student's I, perspective? Yeah, I mean, one thing is, um, I mean, just speaking from more um, my admissions experience, I always felt as an admissions officer in the fall, we were traveling and we were meeting with students and we were trying to recruit them to get interested in our schools um, and get the, you know, students to apply or think about us. And then we switched into this admissions mode, we're evaluating applications. And then that magical moment when we turn on the you know, kind of the admit, uh, send out the acceptance emails, letters and notifications, etc. Um, it goes back into like, come to our wonderful university. So <laughs> I think students, you have all the power <laughs> now because you get to choose, right? So um, the table has turned, you are in the position of choosing the best fit college. So that's a wonderful, I think, feeling and um, place. Um, the first person I would say, you know, in terms of questions or just as a connection point as your admissions officer, this is a person, um, hopefully, or you know, a group of people who read your applications and they got to know you through the process. Some of them you maybe um, you met earlier um, at your high school or at a college fair or virtually. Others are like anonymous kind of you know black box people that you knew that read your application <laughs> and admitted you. So uh, they would be a wonderful uh, you know kind of first go to. You will. Um, as an admitted student, get a lot of information, a lot of information, information about admitted student activities. Um, if you apply for financial aid, you will get your financial aid package. Um, there might be others reaching out to you, current students, maybe even professors, just a lot of information um, coming at you. So take a deep moment, um, stay organized. Um, if you have folders for your email drives or, you know, however you keep yourself organized, make sure that you do read all the email. Um, um, there'll be a lot of information about depositing and housing options and course selections it on and on and on. So um, stay organized. And if you have, you don't know where to go as a first step, 
email your admissions officer or call the admissions office, email them. Uh, they're your kind of go-to um, first step. Uh, I would say that, you know, uh, start to think about the admitted student um, activities. Some of them could be a day-long event. Some of them could be multiple days with a state over. Um, you might have to make some travel plans, you and your family, um, it, those who are supporting you. It's feasible to do that. So there are actually some logistical things that you need to uh, consider pretty quickly if you want to visit um, some of these campuses for the first time or again. Um, given where we are with COVID, uh, I think some of it, it's a little bit uh, TBD. In the last couple of years, it's been virtual. Um, and I think universities have done a really wonderful job pivoting to virtual um, opportunities. I think that probably will happen again to some degree um, for a variety of reasons, even beyond COVID. Um, but the, you know, just take advantage of those um, accepted student activities. I remember planning for those and it was just really fun, like thinking about how can we best showcase our university? How can we get our best professors to, you know, be teaching um, uh, a guest lecture um, or get our student leaders and our campus groups out to, you know, present themselves. So those are really exciting moments. Um, what are your favorites from like your days, you know, with admitted student or as you were counseling, you know, Eric, you're from your high school side, you know, counseling student. Um, during yeah, I mean, part of it was, um, you know, uh, okay, part of it goes back to celebrating, right? And then part of it also goes back, I will admit to um, how do you get more authentic information from the Disneyland version, which we still loved to present. We would pick our favorite, most charismatic students and faculty to come talk to you. Um, we'd have all types of banners and, you know, swag for our students <laughs> who had been accepted. So I would also encourage you, in addition to that information, trying to collect some more substantive information from other sources like current students. And I think one thing that I've seen um, is a is a bigger phenomenon. I had a senior talk back um, at my current high school to some of the juniors and they said, you know, we um, ended up reaching out to alums from our high school who are enrolled at these institutions, just kind of a cold call or no, not calling anymore, a cold DM um, at, via Instagram to kind of get in touch with folks who are on the ground um, at the school. And I found that those have been really valuable, advantageous opportunities to connect with students as well and get some informal um, insider information about the colleges. Mm -hmm. But yeah, of course, the um, admitted student state, student state were some of the highlights of my time in admission. And then I will also say in that same breath that I mourned the loss of the students who I loved during the committee process. We've all worked at really highly selective colleges and yet they landed on their feet and they were really happy as well. So just know that we really did care about all of you. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, kind of sad to see um, those students who we couldn't admit. Um, so just know that this is not a referendum um, on who you are as a student or as a person, as Christine said. Uh, Victoria, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. You know, I worked in a high school too, and same thing. I had students who didn't get in their first choice, uh, got really disappointed, but then came back a year later and said, I don't even know why I was so upset about that because I can't imagine going anywhere else. So uh, what I encourage students the most is to get that 
um, kind of behind the scenes view of the school and be open-minded to it because what you may have heard from the admissions office is one version of being a student there. And it's not wrong, but like Eric said, it's, it's marketing. They're trying to, and like Christine said, like they're trying to get you to apply and now they're trying to get you to attend. So now go talk to the alumni from your high school. Your counselor is a great resource to shoot you the email of someone who, you know, ended up at that school and you can talk to them and their context is going to be so helpful for you. They came from the same place that you're from. They can tell you what the workload's going to be like comparative to what you experienced in high school. Um, and you just don't get that kind of like, this is what we told you to talk about, right? Like they're going to tell you about what they did on their weekend that maybe the admissions office isn't going to highlight in their brochures, you know? Um, and then I think too, these admitted student days, I have a lot of students who say, well, I visited, you know, during the course of my college search. So I don't, I don't need to do the admitted students day, or I don't need to go back for a visit. But the thing is, um, I find the admitted students days virtual or, or not, um, they really kind of highlight a lot more of the stuff that you're actually going to experience on campus beyond just like walking the campus and talking about random opportunities. So they talk about departmental opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Like they'll have um, a humanities panel with all of these professors who tell you about like the different classes you might have to take in a core curriculum or the different classes you could take if you were a humanities major. And you'll get to hear from those professors, which is really helpful. You want to be in a place where you kind of vibe with those people, right? And um, the same is true of the current students. You're going to get much more of a sampling. It's not just typically the tour guides that work for the admissions office. They tend to get other people in. So you get a wider sampling of students across different interests who will sit down and have a student life panel. Um, even as a counselor, I've attended some of these events on visits and they're much more informative than just the tour. Um, they sometimes, the adults leave the room and let the students tell you, you know, things things that, that they might not have said like in an info session. So I think um, it behooves students not to overlook these, these opportunities, um, which a lot of students want to at the end of, you know, April, like when they're making these decisions, they're pretty tired. Uh, I, we get it. You guys are tired. This has been a long process, but they're really is a lot of new information that can come from them. So don't look overlook those admitted student events. Don't overlook like meeting up with an alumni and visiting the campus. And then, you know, I think a, another realistic thing we need to talk about is that it's not always feasible for everybody to visit campus. They, they may not have um, the funds to do so or, or the time. Um, people are very busy. We get that. So try to find other ways. Try to do the online ones if they have it. Or um, there are a lot of colleges that'll have flyout programs for students who can't afford to come to campus. So do look into that. Talk to your your counselor about that. They may know about uh, certain things that you don't know for, for a given college um, that could be helpful for you. So what do you guys think about um, like other things to consider beyond obviously like visiting and, and asking questions? Like what else should a student who've, who has the, you know, fortune of a few offers really consider? Great question. We all wrote different things for that which is interesting. And we may even want to share our own personal experiences, even though they're from the dark ages <laughs> about where we chose to attend. Um, you know, I think that there's a number of, I know that there's a number of different qualities and characteristics and factors that will come into play. We'll probably spend a good bit of time talking about finances. I know a lot of people's financial mm -hmm. situations have changed due to COVID and 
that can be a really determinant factor for some students. Geography is also something I'm seeing become increasingly mm -hmm. important to students, as well as the fact of weighing whether or not you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond, which could be a really different experience. And how do you want to position yourself for your next step? You know, I want students to stay in the moment and focus on what will be, you know, the hopefully the arc of their next four years. But ultimately, there is also some positioning that you want to consider in where, you know, how you can leverage your student experience as a student um, for the next four years. Um, and, and will that get you where you want to go um, after you graduate? So, Christine, I don't know if you have anything to add there, um, different factors or maybe diving in a bit more deeply into the financial considerations that students may have. Yeah, I, I think that's um, for sure the financial component. This is where I think in the fall, um, it's still a little bit abstract. Um, there are financial aid calculators that students may have done initially just to get a ballpark figure to see, like, is this at all within range of what's feasible for my family? Um, but now you're actually seeing financial aid packet. Um, the, the tricky thing about financial aid is um, sometimes like that's kind of the final offer. Sometimes some for some universities and um, they could revisit. Um, it doesn't hurt to ask. That's my first you know, sort of response to that. It's once you have these financial aid packages in front of you, um, it, it doesn't hurt to at least make that call or reach out to the financial aid office about um, financial aid. Sometimes if there's updated information from your family circumstances, financial circumstances that could be helpful, a financial aid office could reconsider uh, recalculating the aid that they're offering to students. Sometimes, you know, some universities are more open to, oh, you receive other offers and, you know, let's reconsider. Other schools will be very firm. I'm sorry, we this is this is kind of the final. So you don't know, but it doesn't hurt to reach out. That's the first step. If you don't know how to reach out, again, you can go to your admissions officer, that first contact. Sometimes financial aid office numbers, I mean, they should be there, but um, you might not know how to navigate that because students typically are dealing with an admissions office. So um, that's something that's very serious. I think, um, you know, it is, you know, we're all so happy about, you know, the four-year or five-year college experience, but there is also um, a price tag uh, next to it. So you want to weigh that. What is the best return for your um, your investment, you want to think of it as you're investing in your own education, human capital. Um, but, you know, at what point is is it too much of a price tag versus what you think you, you know, would come out? So, um, yeah, so I think those are really good um, considerations. I know, uh, Victoria, you had actually some specific thoughts about kind of this, what would be like a threshold, some general rule of thumb to kind of think through um, about what would be worthwhile and what maybe a little bit too high of a price tag for that particular four-year education. Yeah, I think um, finances are really hard for a 17, 18-year-old student uh, to comprehend, I think. Uh, that's why we see a lot of people in, with a lot of student debt who say, you know, things like, I wish I hadn't taken out this much money and somebody had explained to me. So one of the things that I do talk to students about um, and especially in my days in, in a high school, it's, it's, it's talking to students about the idea of um, thinking about what you're willing to take out for loans, comparing offers, and um, that return of investment, like you're, you're saying, Christine. And, and a good rule of thumb that I always heard um, from a financial aid specialist who you know, became a, a colleague in, at the high school I worked at is that you should... Think about 
taking out no more in loans than what you expect to to, uh, receive in your first year of a salaried position. So let's say I um, plan to graduate and I plan to pursue a career in finance. I look at financial analyst level one positions for when I graduate, like what is the going rate in the cities or areas that I, I plan to. This is all hypothetical because, you know, some people get out of college and it, and it takes them a little while or they have to take an internship or things like that. But do your best to guesstimate. And if if the answer is I expect to make $50,000 in my first year out, out of college, then the idea would be don't take out more than $50,000 in loans. Um, and you should be able to then pay that off by the time that you're 30, if you, if you do that correctly, that's all hypothetical. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work out that way. Things happen, but it is good to really take stock of, of these big numbers, um, and, and conceive of what that looks like. What does 10 years of paying back loans look like? It's not something a lot of students have a lot of, um, experience doing. And then the other thing I would say is with when it comes to finances is if all of that seems completely overwhelming to you, do reach out to people who understand finances to help you in this process. Because I've seen too often somebody say, well, it's the best offer I have. And then when I sit down and look at it with them, and I'm no financial um, <laughs> expert by any means, but I sit down as, as an adult and look with them and I say, you know, I, I actually don't know if it is. Because there's a lot of different things in financial aid packages from merit scholarships to financial aid that is, um, you know, grants that they're just giving you money to different types of loans that you'd be getting. And understanding the difference between all of those can be really complicated. And comparing apples to apples on different offers can be really complicated. So you want to try to find out what is the net cost you're going to be paying for each of these schools and comparing that. And then thinking about what the perks are in each of the packages, like are are you getting a lot more in the way of free money from this school and a lot more in the way of loans from this other school? Um, and you can also always reach out to the financial aid office to further explain your package if you're confused. I've seen some of these packages. Sometimes they're not very easy to read. So, you know, pick up the phone. I know a lot of high schoolers, teenagers do not like to pick up the phone, but pick up the phone, call a financial aid officer or call your admissions officer who can get you in touch with somebody in the financial aid office that they think would be good to talk to and and have them explain these these packages so that you really understand what you're what you're doing um, before you commit somewhere. I think it's really important. Um, and then uh, after all of that, I think uh, you have to then start looking at uh, kind of your goals for your college experience and and thinking about which of the schools really align with those. So I don't know if um, Christine or Eric, you guys want to talk about like some of some of those things that you might want to pay attention to, like beyond finances. Well, a couple of things I was thinking of is one, did we all work in admissions entry level when we left college? Yeah. Or did you all have other jobs before? Okay. So yeah, I should have taken out like $0 in loans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and secondly, I actually have no debt, thankfully, because I was pretty prudent about my selection. Um, 
I have friends now who are in their 40s, you know, deep into their 40s who are still paying off their student loans. Um, and so I think that that is something that can be very limiting in certain ways, right? If you're thinking of assuming other kinds of debt in addition to um, that sort of financial burden. Um, and if you're continuing on to graduate school, medical school, for example, like these are, you know, business school, hugely expensive, um, you know, in further investments in education. So just a word of caution. Um, and I personally was someone who ended up choosing what was the most financially attractive option, which was zero dollars in loans and even getting money to do research, um, study abroad and um, do college level work um, at another institution for the same um, tuition payment that I was paying at my home school. So I would just say as an I'm a huge advocate for coming out of college with mm -hmm. no debt. I think it gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility. Um, and, you know, <laughs> admissions is not known to be the most lucrative <laughs> job. <laughs> so um, if I was doing that calculation, I would have had really um, low um, assumption of debt. Um, and I don't know, Christine, if you have more to add there, I was just thinking about, yeah, it is a big deal. I don't want to dwell too much on the financial piece, but it's a mm -hmm. really big uh, consideration, consideration for sure. Yeah. And in, in being 17 or 18, um, it's hard to kind of um, see that. I think the relatedly, um, another aspect um, in the fall, I know that students often, you know, or when we're counseling students, I often focus on academics, look into the major that you want to do. And um, can you do research if you want to do that? You know, what are the required courses? So I think there is a level of understanding of academics that I would encourage students to keep um, digging and student life. Um, but one component, you know, kind of related to the financial aid aspect um, is to think about what does the post-graduation um, option look like as well? Part of this forward-thinking um, set of questions or planning that students can think about. Um, and that might be a set of questions you can direct to the career services um, or graduate advising departments of the universities that you're looking at to reach out to them and say, what are the kind of um, sectors that graduates of your universities go into? Do they... Um, you know, do like, you know, 50% go into business and the private sector, um, how many are in the nonprofit sector or how many go on to, um, you know, different professional uh, or graduate degrees. Um, and for some students, I know they're, you know, very set, oh, I, I want to go to law school or I want to go to medical school. Um, so they should ask questions about what um, is your medical school placement record? Uh, what is your law school um, you know, it, so just kind of ask these questions to at least see options of where, you know, do these graduates go after they finish their, you know, their degree at that particular institution. And that might be helpful for one, you know, we're, we've been talking about financial aid, but just even beyond what can you expect to roughly make <laughs> your first couple of years out of college, but also like um, what are the various typical paths? I um for a while, I actually worked at a university um, in the career services, um, you know, department. So even asking questions about how do you help students with internships um, during the summer? Do you have alumni that you can connect students with to shadow um, and to understand a particular sector a little bit more? Um, do you host um, job fairs or do you have employers who would come and interview on campus and recruit on campus? So those are questions that maybe, um, you know, a senior who's just so happy to be, you know, going to college or graduating from high school may not quite think ahead, you know, what would this look like five years from now um, or four years from now, but those are good questions um, to, to also ask as well. Uh, what are some support um, services related to career, um, you know, oriented opportunities as well as, you know, um, additional schooling, graduate degrees. Um, there are also a variety of fellowships um, for students during college and post-college. What kind of support um, would a particular 
particular university uh, provide to think about the Fulbright or, you know, some of the uh, number of other um, fellowships that may be available to students. So um, those are kind of you know, I had no idea those opportunities, you know, or those services existed when I was in high school uh, and even in college. So you just want to highlight some of the um, not in, immediately on the top of your list when you're researching colleges initially. But these are certainly good questions to ask at this point. Now that you're looking um, more in depth into like what would actually look like, practically speaking, you know, um, for my four years and, and beyond how will I be supported um, by a particular university. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that shows up in some of those admitted students days too, if you pay attention, go to the career mm -hmm. services ones. I have had my mind changed as a, um, a counselor looking at a school and thinking about whether they support students in that way. I've had my mind really changed by some of those presentations with the people who run those career services. Um, and the things that they do to prepare students, because like you, Christine, I went into college, I had no idea what I was doing. So I, I didn't take internships. I didn't know about fellowships. Like I didn't know there was all this like free money to be going and doing cool yeah. research. Places. Yeah. Like that's awesome that you got that right out the gate, Eric, you know, but. Um, oh my God. Well, I was treating it like an escape room. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> I will find my way through it. <laughs> um, and Victoria, not to interrupt, but I ha you wrote this down in our um, preparation notes. What is the gut check? What is the coin flip test? Oh, yeah. So I love this. So this this really comes into play if a student um, is kind of into a couple places and really can't make a decision between, let's say, two or three places, um, really loves them both, really just can't. Um, can't decide, right? Like you, you see pros and cons to both that you would, you think you'd be happy at one and then tomorrow your mind changes and you think that's the one that you should go to. So I've, I'm sure you've both had students uh, that you're working with and Eric, they come into your office at school and they sit down and, and say like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't decide. And so what I tell them is, okay, we're going to take out a quarter right now and whatever I flip, that's where you're going. All right. You ready? Go. And I flip it. And then I asked them, okay, you're going to this school, right? What do you think? And you, you kind of watch their face and, and you tell them to pay attention to like what they're feeling. And if all of a sudden they feel disappointment, well, then that's not the right of the two schools, right? But if they feel like really excited, that is the gut check, right? Like that is probably the school. And you have to kind of do it quickly. Um, even for yourself, you have to kind of say, okay, whatever I'm going to flip right now, that is where I'm going. You have to kind of convince yourself of it to, to really feel the gut check, but it's like a really good um, kind of physiological response to like what your brain may have overlooked as far as like going to a school. I think that's, what's hard to get at some of sometimes is you've spent the entire year really thinking, Oh, through every single thing that you could think of, why do I want to go to this school? Why do I want to go to that school? When you just flip a coin and allow your body to respond, sometimes you get the answer that you're looking for. doesn't always work, but sometimes it, it gets to something that you hadn't been thinking about. I love that. And if your instinct is, oh, let's do best out of three. <laughs> Probably not the right school, right? right? So yeah. <laughs> I think it's a good thing to do. And, and some students, it doesn't work for. They're too rational. They just can't feel that intuitive sense. Uh, and that's fine. But like some students, it really goes, oh, oh, I guess I didn't like that school as much as I thought. Yeah. 
Interestingly, one of the extensions of that really quickly is when students are really deciding between two schools that are quite varied, not only in school type, but perhaps in prestige or perceived prestige. And I remember having a lot of really difficult and delicate conversations with students and families about a student who's much more interested in going to a school that is perceived to be as less prestigious or maybe more lowly ranked. And so they're telling their friends, you know, I really want to go to this school, even though I got into both of these, or they're telling their parents, you know, I really want to go to this school. And like, how do I win them over and convince them? So I try to have students, you know, set boundaries, let, as we often, you know, guide our students um, in the years leading up to the acceptances, you know, your instincts and matter most, right? And you should still be driving this. Um, and, you know, you're, I don't know, I just, I still try to empower students to let their preferences guide this, even mm -hmm. if that can be a bit of an uphill climb. What do you do if parents, like, you know, want their student to go to one type of school, but the student clearly doesn't? I've had that happen. I don't know how you guys handle it. It's, it's really tough. Absolutely. We're often playing referee, right, or buffering um, and, and trying to amplify and magnify the student's voice in this. Um, I hate to say it, but I will occasionally tell cautionary tales where parents shoehorn their kids into more selective and therefore more, um, you know, prestigious, you know, in the eyes of the of outsiders colleges. Um, and the student really flails or has a really difficult time. They may end up actually coming home, um, taking a year and going to community college and then transferring somewhere else. That's happened to me nearly every year. Um, and it's most often, like I said, when parents shoehorn uh, their students into a college for which either they're ill-suited or wasn't necessarily the right fit for them. And that can be a really demoralizing experience for students. Um, so that that is something that I will offer. And ultimately, it will be the family's decision. But having the family steamroll the student um, or, or sort of force them to go somewhere um, that they're not interested in can have really uh, significant and devastating consequences at times. Yeah, and I was just uh, thinking when you mentioned the ranking aspect, um, please, please, students or parents do not be like, that school's ranked number three on the U.S. New World Report versus number seven U.S. or some whatever, you know, ranking. That is not a good, they just, just scratch that <laughs> decision-making um, tool. It, I put in quotes here. Um, please don't use that. I mean, they're, and they're also similar, you know, in, in quality of education. So please don't use that kind of ranking. And I think the point that you uh, both made about just the, the actual experience, it's so important. I think um, that we've had students, you know, come back and say, like, I thought it would be like, this, but it turned out not to be. And they're the ones who have to day to day live through the courses and the midterms and the student life, the dorm situation, all of that for four years. And we want students to thrive in those four years and have the best experience so they can be prepared for life beyond. Um, I, I mean, academics is absolutely number one, right? Going to college. But when I think about my college years too, I think of all the friendships I made. You know, some of my closest friends now are people that I, you know, got to know my freshman year that first semester or people I got to know through working on a project together or being in a student group together. So there are a lot of other, you know, we talked about the financial returns. We talk about the academics, the, you know, what are your placement job, you know, graduate school, but there's also these qualitative life components as well. The people that you meet, the person that you become um, as a result of where you go and how you're shaped and formed. So those are really, um, I think those are really important questions to ask and to think through and envision like what would be like. Um, I know I work with students where 
even for themselves thinking like, oh, this big, I want to go to big city. I want to go to New York. I want to be Los Angeles or, you know, wherever. Um, so I'm going to go to UCLA. I'm going to go to NYU because it's exciting. It's great to be in big city and big university. And then you, and I'm, I, I think that's a, you know, UCLA and NYU, again, record applications this year. Um, I can't believe, you know, 150,000 at UCLA, <laughs> 105,000 at NYU. So clearly they're very popular um, and they're right schools for some students, but they're not the right school for all students. I worked at Colgate, which is in upstate New York. It's great for some students, not great for others. So taking away some of the assumptions about like, oh, I want to go to a big city, or I thought when I was in college, I want to go to some really quaint Northeast liberal arts college to take away these assumptions because you actually have to live through the day-to-day of it, right? So maybe being a big city, initially I thought it was really exciting to be in New York, but then being in that blended environment where the campus and the city are virtually one, may not be the best for some students. So really also kind of walking away from some previous assumptions about what we, where the student is looking for and being open-minded to exploring and asking questions and really envisioning yourself. Can you envision yourself in a big city or in a suburb or an upstate, you know, somewhere where that's day-to-day for the next four um, years of your life? And then is that the best environment um, overall for, for you as a student, as a, you know, and, and parents can help students to think through those questions as well. I think that's really important to be honest with yourself because I, I've had, like you both mentioned, students who, who think one thing and go there and, you know, weren't really honest with themselves that like a city would provide way too much distraction for them, for instance, or, um, you know, a, that they would go somewhere that they can't, you know, make the grades that they want to get and they want to get into med school. So they think, oh, well, I should go to the most prestigious undergraduate school that on my list by ranking, which, um, as you said, at a certain point, it doesn't really mean anything when you're in the top, like when everything's in the top, like 30 schools, like these are all, you know, really fantastic schools. And so what you want to look at instead is what is the work-life balance? If you're somebody who doesn't love sitting in the library all the time, are you going to be able to achieve A grades to get into a great med school? Are you going to have great time for research, which is just as important to get into med school, right? Are you going to have time to study for the LSAT, which is just as important as getting good grades to get into law school, right? So I think those things are really important to evaluate, like in addition to, do you like the people on campus? Do you like the academic opportunities on campus? Can you stomach being in the middle of nowhere? Can you stomach being in the middle of everything? So Mm -hmm. like you really have to sit there and evaluate. And I encourage students to make a list of what's really important to them and, and check off and see on the colleges you got on into, like how many of those check boxes do they hit? You know, and if you're being honest with yourself and not just going by the rankings, you should be able to pick out of the ones you're accepted to the the very best fit. But I mean, again, there's also uh, cases that we've all experienced where maybe somebody's results weren't what they liked and, and they ended up with getting into a select handful of schools that they're maybe not as excited about. So what do you guys do when that happens? Oh, my gosh, that's a really good question and an excellent point. Um what I love is, first of all, I think respecting decisions um, and realizing that your um, your results actually has an impact on your peers and those those students around you. So I always try to encourage, number one, for students to be respectful of one another and to really celebrate other students' successes rather than being embittered. Um, and other students will, you know, what was your last choice is someone else's first choice in the peer group around you. And I think being cognizant of that and being respectful of that is really important. 
I will also tell you that students uniformly who have gone to their last choice school uniformly have been happy for the most part. I mean, I'm saying like in 95% of the cases, they, um, if you don't like it, you're a snob and you didn't listen to our <laughs> advice <laughs> and you didn't listen to our advice, which was you shouldn't have schools on your list that you don't want to go to. Um, so I'm not going to throw that back in a student's face, but I think it is important to get excited about the colleges that you have been admitted to um, rather than stewing and dwelling um, and, and just really have that attitude of like, well, if you don't want me, I don't want you. Right. It's always like a, I, I use the dating analogy a lot. So it's like, it's, I'm dumping you, right. You're not dumping me. I'm too good for you. Like, you know. Yeah. Why would you um, want to date somebody who doesn't want to date you? Like that's horrible. <laughs> exactly. And don't forget who you go to the prom with is rarely who you marry. So <laughs> there's a lot of growth that happens in college for yeah. sure. And, and so I just really want students to get excited about their options and realizing that the school they have gotten into that may have been in their um, likely list is not quote unquote for losers. Yeah. Um, Cause that's kind of the language that I hear a lot of time. And I'll hear that from parents too. You know, in my day, 30 years ago, that school was a party school for losers. Um, chances are it's still a party school, but it's for really high caliber <laughs> students today. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, it, that just requires a bit of reframing um, and, and realizing that, you know, like I said, going back to what we always encourage students to do, which is to create a list um, where they would be, you know, all of the schools they would actually realistically attend. Um, if you didn't do that, then you're probably going to be in a position where you may feel disappointed um, rather than empowered um, regarding your next step. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to repeat um, some of the um, podcast episodes we already have or the ones that are going to come up. Um, so if for students are immediately thinking, I want to just transfer, I, I'm going to go, I don't care where I go, I'm going to just transfer out. Um, we do have a great transfer uh, podcast episode this semester that you can listen to and kind of think through that. I think my my general advice to students who bring up transfer is, um, well, for now, focus on what the step ahead of you. And even if you are you know, like you say, you want to, you're 100% certain you're going to transfer. The best preparation for transfer is doing the best that you can at your, whichever university you decide to do and to fully embrace that because you will do well academically, you will do well socially. And those are exactly the qualities that you will need to present um, in your transfer application. So if transfer is still kind of in view, um, the best preparation is to love the university that you're going to. Um, but we do have a podcast for that for students who are I want to take a gap year. Um, we won't say too much today because there's going to be a gap year podcast episode coming up on that, you know, kind of just thinking is gap year the right thing for me? Um, you know, should I do that? So focus on the choices that you have now and, you know, make the best decision that you can, you know, the best fit again, going back to that, what are the exceptions that you have um, and what you, you know, want to, you know, how can you do that? Um, a final question, I know we haven't covered this, um, is waitlist. Any kind of final thoughts for students who may have some acceptances, perhaps, uh, but also one or two waitlist options? How should they think about waitlist um, as they're making a decision to commit to for the fall? Yeah, I think like Eric said, um, just like your likelies that maybe you're not super excited about, you should get excited about um 
schools that you are accepted to, even if you're waitlisted at a higher choice. Um, so I do think that waitlists come back as positive sometimes, but I would say that is not the majority of cases. Um, so you, you don't want to rely on a waitlist as if it's, um, you know, just definitely going to happen. And the other thing is it can come back really late in the summer. So you do want to prepare your life to go on and through, you know, as if the wait list is not going to happen. And, you know, hopefully if you demonstrate some interest to the the school um, and tell them, I'm really still excited about you, you're still my top choice, um, maybe they will reconsider you. And you should do those things if a wait list is a top choice. But at the same time, you should get excited about another school. You should deposit at another school and um, you should never deposit twice anywhere. But if you get off the wait list, you would let the school know that you have deposited at and then you will get off off that wait list and deposit at the new school if, if it's a school that you prefer over the one that you've deposited at. Um, so yeah, but I would say get excited about the schools you are into and start envisioning what your you know next fall is gonna look like there. Victoria, get excited is a perfect way to end this episode. So thank you for tuning into Just Admit It. Catch up on all our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive college admissions process. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more college prep resources. And stay tuned for our episodes where we will share advice for students who are contemplating taking a gap year. Thank you, everyone.